First, uh, let me say good morning, and uh, let me thank you for allowing me uh, to be here. To uh, be with my brothers and sisters in Christ is a, a privilege. And then to be among brothers and sisters who are passionate about what this day symbolizes uh, is equally uh, thrilling for me. It's thrilling for me because uh, just last year, uh, I have been in contact with over 300 pastors and congregations in Indianapolis, uh, trying to uh, offer them uh, resources to assist women who are dealing with a crisis pregnancy, uh, families that are dealing with a crisis pregnancy, and about 28% of those pastors that I contacted said, yes, we are interested. We want to know. But the vast majority of these evangelical churches said they were not interested. Could you imagine being in a congregation of individuals who sing every Sunday how much they love Jesus, but then turn around and say they are not interested in, the, in uh, protecting those who cannot speak for themselves. That, is, uh, that just takes me to a whole nother level. So I don't want you to think that the long history that this church has had with respect to supporting life is common among your brothers and sisters because it is not. And so I know this morning I'll be uh, preaching to the choir, so to speak. I don't have a whole lot of new news to tell you, but I am here to remind you that what we are standing for is near and dear to the heart of God. What you are standing for as a congregation of believers is central to God's heart. The protection of life in the womb, which has become a very dangerous place for children. Sadly, for African-American children, uh, we have, as a people, as an ethnic group, we have aborted almost as many children as there are black Americans in the population of this country. That has to be staggering. That's staggering to me. Millions of children, black children, who have not had the opportunity to grace this planet, this nation, because their mothers and their political leaders believed that it was more convenient for moms and dads to uh, extricate themselves of their presence. So I want to thank you for being here this January 22nd to celebrate National Sanctity of Human Life Day. Um, it was our president, our former president, Ronald Reagan, who on uh, January 14, 1988, signed Proclamation 5761 that recognized January 22nd as National Sanctity of Human Life Day. 
And so we celebrate that. That took place oh, about 15 years or so ago. And yes, we do have another reason to celebrate. As the Supreme Court finally uh, uh, got its head wrapped around uh, what the Constitution generally or, or truly stands for, uh, for life, for liberty, for the pursuit of happiness, but for life, and, and overturned Roe v. Wade July 5th of last year. We celebrate that. It is no longer a constitutional right for a mother to abort the life of her child. But that means now we've got some heavy lifting to do as a people of Christ, as a body of believers. We have heavy lifting to do because now it's a state issue again. And it's up to every state to determine what they are going to do with this issue of abortion. And it's your responsibility and my responsibility. And again, I'm just reminding you of what you already know, that we have got to become a, a social force in the culture. We have got to become implanted once again in the minds of our citizens uh, what Christ has called us to do, and that is to stand for life. We've got to remind the culture of what its fathers, what our forefathers knew was central to the heart of God. Again, this life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. Now, in some sense, uh, I want to talk about how the mighty have fallen. But in order to get an idea of what I mean by that, we have to go back and look at the founding of this nation. Because you and I need to understand, we need a clearer understanding of what this nation has fallen from and what happens when the church ceases to engage the culture consistently to bring to its conscience what the founders of this nation knew. And that is that it stood on the Christian principles, that Christian principles and Christian ethics fed this nation in its founding, and though many modern scholars would uh, decry this affirmation, one would only have to look to the founding documents. One would only have to look to some of the primary source documents that uh, were part of this nation's founding to see how far we have fallen as a nation in uh, communicating the will of our Father in the heart of our citizens. When I think about this mighty fall, I think about Psalms 13, 18, where the scriptures tell us, behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love. I think this was consistent with the founders of this nation. How far have we fallen? I think one only has to remember uh, Psalms 33, 12, as it speaks to us, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord and the people whom he hath chosen for his own inheritance. This too was the conscience of our nation. And as we allowed, as this nation continued to progress historically and we allowed this, uh, this truth, this foundational truth to be closeted and pushed away from the public eye, as this story, 
ceased to be the story, the, it ceased to be the American story, then our decline, our spiritual and our social decline just escalated. And I think many of us are standing here today wondering what has happened to Western culture. What has happened to the foundational principles that undergird this nation? Again, looking at these uh, historical documents, one, one could look at the, the journal of Christopher Columbus, who said, it was the Lord who put in my mind to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to the heathen and bring the word of God to unknown coastlands. Will they hear that? In our public schools today? No. They will not hear that. They will not hear that as a foundational uh, principles of, of, uh, of this nation. Will they, uh, will they be taught that on September 8th, 1565, Pedro Menendez, uh, along with settlers, found St. Augustine, or Augustine, uh, in Florida, and it was America's first settlement. The landing site was named God, in the name of God, in the name of God. Will our kids learn that in our history schools today? No. How the mighty has fallen. Jamestown, which was settled in 1607 under the first charter of Virginia, declared by the providence of Almighty God hereafter tend to the glory of of his divine majesty in propagating Christian religion. That was that great heritage that was part of this nation, of this nation and its founding. That is the heights from which we have fallen from. 50 of the 52, or I'm sorry, 52 of the 55 members who framed the Constitution were professing Christians. George Washington often ended his prayers with Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. John Adams believed the general principles on which the fathers achieved independence were the general principles of Christianity. In a prayer by Thomas Jefferson, he stated, Almighty God, bless our land with honorable ministry, sound learning, and pure manners. In the name, in thy name, we entrust the authority of government. We ask through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And then one would look at the founding documents and the monuments that grace this land. And as we understand that many of these religious principles, to be honest, all of them, are no longer taught in our public schools as the foundational principles of this nation. How the mighty have fallen. And so it's easy to see then that a nation who rejects God as its savior, as its founding principle, it's easy to see that this nation would grab hold of and embrace ideas that are inconsistent with our savior and Lord. And so as I think about the fallenness of this great nation, I think of 2 Samuel 1.19, when uh, David, when speaking of the death of Saul and Jonathan, says, uh, a gazelle lies slain on your heights, Israel. 
how the mighty have fallen. This nation, how the mighty have fallen. How we have embraced things that are so unnatural to our fathers in generations past. And so, again, uh, uh, trying to drive this point home, I'm, I'm, uh, I, I, what comes to mind is Ezekiel 16, 1 through 7. And then I will be quoting various other verses of uh, the birth of Israel as a nation. God is talking to Israel, and then he's, he's talking about how, you, you know, when I found you, you were a babe in a field. Now, this is how children were aborted in ancient days. The mother would have the child, and then they would take the child to a field and toss the child in, out in the field. And then wild animals would come and consume the child. So Yahweh says, you know, I was walking by, and I saw you out in a field squirming in your blood. You were the child nobody wanted. And as I walked by and saw you, I said, live. And so uh, I'm, I'm thinking of, again, the founding of America, just a ragtag group of people, Protestants from different lands, different faiths, but all striving to be faithful to Jesus Christ, came together to, uh, to uh, uh, propagate the gospel, It's this ragtag group of individuals who, upon establishing this great nation today, has left its father behind. And so God says, as he's describing uh, the history of Israel as a nation, again, the word of the Lord came to me. This is what Ezekiel was saying. Uh, I made you flourish like a palm in a field, and you grew up and became tall and arrived at full adornment, but you trusted in your beauty and played, uh, I'll clean it up a little bit, uh, you played the harlot. God says, I poured into you, I clothed you, I dressed you, I nurtured you, I brought you up. You were a very beautiful woman, but in time, you forgot me. You forgot the one who clothed and nurtured you. Uh, you took your beauty, you took the beautiful jewels of my gold and my silver, which I had given you, and made for yourself images of men, and with them played the prostitute. Isn't that what we've been doing these last generations? Uh, prostituting this nation in light of the God who uh, bought us, saved us, grew us up, nurtured us, made us a successful nation, a successful people. Uh, when we talk about American exceptionalism, it's, it's not in the sense that we're the best folk out there and there's, there's nobody like us. American exceptionalism is rooted in the fact that we were a people who knew who our God was. And we were dependent upon that God. My, how we have fallen. Today, virtually uh, every idea is up for grabs in our nation. 
And as we focus on this sanctity of life issue, we see how it has blossomed, unfortunately, blossomed, though folk like you have been consistently, folk like you and others have consistently fought against this horrible ravage. If we look back in, at 2022, we note that over 900,000 babies were aborted in this nation. And, you know, you, you have access to you, uh, Google and, and YouTube. If, if, and, and sadly, if you wanted to see, if you wanted a visual of the horror of aborting children, it's right at your fingertips. And it is horrible to see these, these babies, these beautiful individuals that carry the image of God, to see them shredded up and thrown away. And to know that many people in our nation, uh, th their consciences are not seared because this was part of the law of the land. It's, it's a, a testimony to the extent to which we have fallen. And now we're at a place, uh, especially after the overturning of Roe v. Wade, where states are looking at more efficient ways to um, assist women in aborting children. I'm not here to bash Democrats or any political party for that matter, but my heart weeped, was broken when President Biden uh, signed an executive order to ensure that uh, chemical abortions were, uh, were more easily accessed in this nation and that they're trying to pass laws that would prevent states from banning chemical abortions. Though sadly, uh, chemical abortions or the abortion pill has been on the rise, and that the majority of abortions that do take place in our country are done through this uh, chemical abortion process, through these through abortion pills. And yet, um, more hospital visits of women who are utilizing abortion pills are becoming the norm from... Uh, it's one, it's, a, it's about a 10-hour process to abort a child utilizing uh, chemical pills. But then uh, emergency visits for women who have been involved with chemical abortions have increased over 500%. So even those individuals who are trying to create an environment where abortion is more readily handy uh, to young ladies are also putting them in a position where they are risking their lives more often. And then, of course, we have the usual means by which children are aborted. Uh, there are the suction aspiration and dilation and evacuation and uh, hysterectomy cesarean deliveries. And, of course, we've all heard of the... Um, uh, uh, the instance where uh, children are delivered breach and then 
um, this partial birth abortion where a, a needle is used uh, to suck out uh, their, uh, their brains, and then their head is collapsed, and then the baby is delivered alive. That was constitutionally legal until this Dobbs decision that overturned Roe v. Wade. Isn't that horrible? Isn't that horrible? And yet you and I, we have to understand that we've got, again, a lot of heavy lifting to do. Because as, we, as, as abortion has become the norm and is seen as a choice, another choice is being elevated in our nation, and that's euthanasia. And it wouldn't be surprising, it ought not be surprising to us that if we do not respect life at the beginning, that we would not respect life at the end. And so euthanasia is becoming the norm, and not just here in the United States, but in Europe, it has been uh, popular for uh, over 20 years. When I was in the military, uh, I served this nation in Belgium. And sadly, in Belgium, euthanasia has taken off. They are now euthanizing. It is legal to euthanize kids in Belgium. It's legal to euthanize individuals suffering from mental illness in Belgium. It is legal to euthanize individuals who have uh, been uh, unfortunately involved in auto accidents and have been left uh, severely debilitated. They can be euthanized. Sadly, here in this nation, there are 11 states where it's legal to euthanize or to be, uh, of course, it's cleaned up. It sounds a lot cleaner today. It's death with dignity. It's, but again, it's legal. And uh, there are large numbers of doctors, about 60 or 70 percent of doctors in states where it is legal uh, for this assisted suicide, 70 percent said they felt like they were pressured by uh, loved ones in the family to euthanize their kin. Other individuals who have been terminally ill, uh, when, uh, when we've had opportunities or when researchers have had opportunities to speak to them, said that they felt pressure. They felt like they were a burden to their family members. And this was one of the primary reasons they had decided to expedite their death. They felt like they were a burden to their family and to caretakers. My heart weeps because we have allowed this, this, this horror to take place in a nation whose founding was so solidly biblical. As we transition from what uh, historians used to call a providential view of history, which would outline some of the things that I spoke about earlier, the, uh, the, the, the connection between our, our Christian faith and the heritage of this nation. 
This was a providential approach to history. But somewhere around the 1920s, the academic community decided that they wanted to remove God from our history. And, And they focused on what was called an economic view of American history. And I remember when I was in school having this drummed into my head, taxation without representation is tyranny. But I didn't know, and I'm sure many of us who grew up going to school during that era, we didn't know that there was a purposeful um, commitment to removing God from the history of this nation by focusing on uh, the economic impact of uh, liberty. And though when one reads uh, the Declaration of Independence and we find out that there were 27 grievances with respect to uh, Great Britain and the colonies here in this nation, that taxation without representation was number 17. Wasn't number one, not number five, not number 10, number 17 out of 27. And yet there was this push to uh, understand American history by way of economics. And so we would begin to see books being published uh, entitled The Economics or The Economic Basis of Politics, The Economic Basis of the Constitution, The Economic Basis of the Revolution, Economy, 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 until they, they, uh, they were able to separate from the minds of the citizens of this nation its religious foundations, its religious birth. And now we are, we are drowning in a sea of blood. By the time Roe v. Wade is overturned, 63 million of our children have been robbed of a life in this nation. Can you imagine that? 63 million people. You can add the total population of the state of Indiana and Illinois and uh, Kentucky or Tennessee. You could add those states and you wouldn't get 63 million people. Could you imagine what that represents? Can you imagine what that's done to the soul of this nation? And yet here we are today with a very, very unique opportunity, a chronos opportunity. Now, in the Greek, there are two words for time. I'm sorry, not, not chronos. Chronos is one of them. But this is a kairos moment, chronos and kairos. Chronos is day, hour, time. Kairos is um, a time where you have a specific a strategic opportunity. We're in a strategic opportune time. Now that abortion is no longer a constitutional right, you and I, as citizens in this state, have a responsibility to uh, interact with our legislators, interact with pro-life organizations, which this church does, be vocal, Support individuals in your community, Christians, genuine Christians who uh, God has called to the political arena. Support these individuals in this time. 
in this, in this chronos opportunity so that we can begin to have an impact, not just on in institutions, though. As our, our sister said in her prayer before I stood up here, we also have an opportunity. We have an obligation to exhibit the heart of God during a time uh, that, is, that is very critical. Women who are in crisis pregnancy don't need to just know we are advocates for the life of the unborn. They need to know that we love them and we want to point them to a Savior who loves them, who wants to redeem them, who not only wants to protect the child in the womb, but wants to procure their life so they can sing some of the same songs we sung this morning. How marvelous it is to be in a relationship with Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We don't just want to save children in the wombs of mothers. We don't just want to save the elderly from being forced or convinced that uh, uh, the proper thing for them to do is to uh, make their final exit. We want people to know that at every moment in their lives, from their birth to their natural death, that we can glorify God at every moment of our lives. That we can glorify God even in suffering. We live, our children should live, to glorify God. And again, we have a responsibility as followers of Jesus Christ to ensure that these ladies know, that our elderly citizens know that Jesus loves them, wants to redeem them, and he wants to make them part of this eternal family. So please, don't take what you have here for granted. And don't be silent with respect to what you have here. This state needs to become even more pro-life than it is. I've interacted with individuals who are close to the legislators of our state. And for right now, the bill that they tried to pass, uh, you know, they tried to they tried to get abortion banned in the state of Indiana. But there were quite a few legislators who said no. And so the bill that was passed was the closest we could get with the hope that we could continue to push forward and push forward until we could ban abortion in this state. But we're a long way from that because even right now it's wrapped up in the courts and the courts have put a stop to what little progress we have made. But if we are going to make genuine progress, then it's going to take pressure from individuals like you, pressure on our legislators to say, we want to be an abortion-free state. We want to represent the heart of God with respect to pro-life. We believe that every child should have the right to live and to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Every child ought to have that opportunity. And so you and I must become active in ensuring that happens. And we can't be active by just keeping it to ourselves. We can't 
ensure that that happens by being quiet. So, as I wrap up, I want to remind all of us that we have difficult times ahead, but we have a great God, a great God. And I want to remind you of uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 17 through 18, as we push forward, as we uh, take this providential view of history and bring it forward and remind our brothers and sisters in this nation that God is our foundation, that the right to life didn't start with the Constitution of the United States, and it didn't start with the Supreme Court. It starts with our Creator. But I want you to remember, Paul tells us, for this light and momentary affliction in preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. You have an eternal home. You are eternally safe. So many are not. Shall we not rise for this sake, for this cause, for unborn children, for our elderly brothers and sisters, for those who are lost and disconnected from Christ? Can we not endure this temporary discomfort for the glory of God, for life? Let us move forward. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you. I thank you for my brothers and sisters. I thank you that you have already given them a heart. You've given them a pastor who has a heart for the unborn, the yet born, the pre-born. I, I celebrate the fact that you've given them a pastor who um, believes in protecting life from conception to natural death. He believes in life. And I thank you that you've given them a pastor who has a passion for discipleship, who has a passion for leading his people. Now I ask you, will you stir your people up? By the power of the Holy Spirit, will you stir them up this day, this national day, this day that we, uh, we respect life? Will you stir them up to continue to be advocates for life? not just in this church, but in this community. I ask you to do this in the name of our Lord and Savior Christ. Amen.